Welcome to 17 Strong. Victories don't come by accident. Here's your host, Steve Teixeira. Thanks, Andy. Welcome to another 17 Strong podcast. I'm your host, Steve Teixeira, along with my beautiful wife, Holly. Hi, Hi. how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Well, we've had technical (laughs) difficulties today, but uh, our special guest has talked us through it. I know. Would you like to introduce her? (laughs) I would. This is one of Ryan's favorite, favorite, favorite people. And this is Angela Johnson. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Steve. You have such a great sports announcer voice. I right? feel like called into like AM570 sports. <laughs> well, you know, back in the day, I was a radio DJ. So. Yes, he was. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I it hear was, it. It was country music and you're in Nashville now. So see, it it worked out. That's awesome. Look at that. I knew I felt it. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Tell us about, um, about what you're doing. Yeah. What are you doing in Nashville? You know, my husband's in music, so it makes sense for us to be spending a lot of time here in Nashville. But, uh, you know, after COVID happened, I think, um, every, person was kind of called into a season of like restructuring and like, Hey, let's take a look at our life and see like, what, um, what are we doing? What do we want? What do we need? Like all those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were a part of that, that, um, transition. And so we decided to sell our house that we were in and now we split our time with, um, a home in LA and a home here in Nashville. And, um, that's kind of why I'm here. Yeah, we wow. love Nashville. Yeah, we had the opportunity to uh, spend a couple weeks back there and tour the state, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I really beautiful. was fond of the Franklin area. That was a really cool area. Oh yeah, Franklin's very popular. I mean, uh, this is my first summer in Nashville, so the humidity is a whole <laughs> different thing that I'm not used to being in California, girl born and raised. Yes. But, um luckily like you know people talk about oh my hair frizzes out and it goes crazy in the humidity mine doesn't do that i just feel sticky and uncomfortable and disgusting oh yeah so I'm getting used to that what yeah. about the bugs oh my god okay Big. so <laughs> first of all they okay you thought you seen a bug in california not nah, honey so, <laughs> to the south and their bugs are so big that like the other day I went to get in the shower and there was a spider in the shower and like this spider was so big like I thought I was interrupting him (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry I didn't know somebody was in here you can hear them like buzzing by or flying oh and they got fireflies out here which I've never seen a firefly before, but I love it. Like I light up like a little kid every time I walk out front and then there they go. I'm like, ah, they're there. Like, I'm so excited. I just smile. I love it. Okay. Isn't that weird? I was just telling Steve, I said on my bucket list, I really want to see a, I call him a light. What did I call him? A lightning bug. He goes, yeah. you mean a firefly? I go, yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> it's so special. I it really so did. I know. Like I tried to capture it on Instagram stories, but it never does it justice. No, that's what we hear. It never does it justice. Yes, exactly. We we don't have those pleasures out in California. No, not you. Got to look for a Prius going by. That's about it. (laughs) But but we get the beautiful sunsets in California. That's true. Nobody knows what a sunset is until you go experience one in California. That is true. That is true. We all have something. Um, I just wanted the viewers or our um, seventeen strong podcast to 
know how you got started. I want I think I know the answer to this, but I'm not 100%. So I'd like to hear how and what your age was, because I think it was really young, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I grew up in San Jose, California, and I wanted to be an actress, but I didn't know how to be an actress in San Jose. <laughs> um, I And this is like AOL dial-up internet days, oh, yeah. so I'm <laughs> guessing a lot of people listening to this are like, what does that mean? Oh. Um, but it's um, I would Google search and um, try to find like, how do I make a resume? How do I get an agent? How do I like, you know, mm-hmm. those things. And I ended up moving to LA. A friend of mine had gone before me and, you know, she got started before me. So she's like, if you come out here, I'll help you. And so I did. And I started from the ground up as an extra on TV. Oh. And my first job, I was an extra on the show Friends. And that was my favorite show of all time. Wow. So to be an extra on that show was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I, yeah. I, I made it. <laughs> Here I am. And that's it. Send out the newsletter. I that's made right. it. I'm coming home. Uh, I love um, it. What's, I got to interrupt you. What scene were you in in Friends? Seasons nine and 10. I was in oh. so many episodes. So you can, you can see me. I've had, I've had fans uh, tweet me and like take a oh. screenshot and circle me in the background. And That's you can awesome. definitely see me. I'm still wearing my hoops. I wear my hoops. You know, so <laughs> I'm born wearing hoops. Still wear my hoops. Oh, so it's funny. I love it. Friends wearing my hoops. All right. I That's love awesome. it. That's I love awesome. that. That's so cool. But then to get into comedy, how did you do that? How did you break into that comedy act? So I didn't know I was funny at all. My whole family is funny. My dad, my grandpa, all my siblings. My grandma was really silly. Um, so it's mostly my my dad's side of the family gotcha. that they're the zingers. They're just like zing, zing, zing. And and my husband likes to say the most frustrating thing about my family is that we all like make fun of each other and like that's our love language. Oh. And so when he was first brought into the family, like he didn't realize like that's how we say I love you is sure. by tearing you apart, you know, <laughs> with our quick wit and our zingers. Yes. And um so we've, we've always just been like quick with each other, but I didn't realize that I was uh, funny outside of the norm, you know, sure. um, because on it, like in my family, are you kidding me? Like my brother is the funniest one in my family, but he's not a performer gotcha. where I'm a performer, you know? Right. And uh, so I was at this church and it was a very popular church in Hollywood. It's called the Oasis. Oh. And there's a lot of actors, dancers, producers, directors, a lot of creatives go to this church. And so every Tuesday night, this is back in the day, um, every Tuesday night they would have creative arts night where they would um, do dance classes, acting classes, singing, like whatever you can think of. I was in the acting class and we would do improv games and I would be funny in the improv games. And there was a stand-up comic in the class and she was like, Hey, do you want to come and take my joke writing class? And I was like, is it free? And, she was like, yeah. and I was like, I guess like I had no desire to be a comedian I had at this point, the only comedy show I'd ever been to was like at a restaurant and I wasn't even coming for the show. I was coming to like to eat, eat and there was a show and it was like, oh, okay. Like, so at this point, that's the only comedy show I'd ever seen. And I remember watching the guy on stage 
saying like, oh, you know what? I bet you I could do my nail salon thing and make that a joke because I had been doing that character and that accent since I was a kid because I grew up in San Jose, which has a huge Vietnamese population. It's very diverse, a lot of different types of people. So from a young age, I could do different accents, like all the different kids in the neighborhood. I could do everybody's accent. And um, I knew I had this like in my back pocket. So I was like, oh, I bet you I could make that a joke and I could probably do that. And then this woman asked me, you want to come take my stand-up class? And I was like, sure. And then I said, you know, I have this nail salon joke type thing that I do. It's like a character. Like, I bet you I can make that into a joke. And she was like, you know what? Nail salon jokes are so hacky. Like, everybody has one. I would just steer clear from nail salon jokes. Oh. And I was like, okay. But I don't know if anybody does it like me, so I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway and just see what happens. (laughs) And then And boy, I'm glad you listened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm glad, my husband glad, my family glad, everybody right. glad. Everybody's glad. Oh my gosh, that's the best. That is the best. Now, a lot of people that we've been in contact with or in our little area, because we live in a small little area, but um, they did not realize that you were the same person in the Bonquiqui. Yeah. I'm like, yes, that was Ryan's favorite. He always would go around and say, I will cut you. And I'm- Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people do not that connection yeah they and don't I'm, put that together. I'm kind of grateful though because like I guess if you can recognize me outside of the sass and the costume and everything right. then you know yeah so it's it's fun when people figure it out I and do realize. I, um I just had a Lyft driver the other day that made the connection while I was in the car and it was hilarious to watch <laughs> like you're the girl that <laughs> did they try and imitate you Oh, oh yeah. and then it's like, let me call my friend. Hold on. Oh, she's not answering. Let me call my. Hold on. Wait. Let me call somebody. Oh, that's like, so funny. Call a friend. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know we talked offline, but for our viewers, what's your most popular or most requested routine to date? Forever the nail salon. It will yeah. always be the nail salon. Even now, in the age of cancel culture and everything, like there's a lot of people that misinterpret what the joke is and and the story is and. And um, it's still the number one joke that people will yell out in my show. Um, if I don't do it, I'll hear about it later in sure. social media and, you know, all those kinds of things. But um, the nail salon joke for the past 13, 14 years, I mean, oh, yeah, one of those uh, has been just living a life of its own out there. That, I, that is the truth. It is. It's awesome. But I'm sure along the way, there's been some struggles or, you know, things that you kind of had to overcome. Can you talk about any of those or oh, sure. walk us, walk us through that? So many things. Like, pick a topic of what I would <laughs> well, have to what do you think? Especially in this day and age, like you said, with cancel culture, people taking this the wrong way, the, right. the Bonquiqui or the nail salon, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not that you're making fun of these people, no. you know, it's just, I think what's so special about you is you take everyday things that we all encounter and you just, you make them humorous. It's so funny. You know, you're, yes. you're not degrading anyone. It's the fact that I've been to a nail salon yeah. with my wife. Right. So I think it's hysterical because right. there's a lot of similarities there, you yeah. know? And you kind well, of- that's what it is, is uh, truth is funny. Mm-hmm. And um, in in my approach to comedy, I'm always trying to connect with people. 
and relate to people. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like uh, something as simple as going to get your nails done is a very relatable situation that most women all over the world have in common. And um, even if your experience is a little bit different than my experience, um, you can relate to it in some way. Mm -hmm. And so with that, that joke, that is me telling a story from the time I walk in the door to the time I walk out from what happened to me. Everything in that joke has been said to me. It's nothing is made up from my brain. Like, that's the thing. Like, I am not that creative, y'all. Like, these are just real things. (laughs) They're real life scenarios. And that were said. And so I, I share the story. This is what happened. And I think it's the accuracy. Mm -hmm. It's, is what people go, Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, I think when you can, uh, relate to someone on a human level, Mm -hmm. then that's where comedy can live. And that's why a lot of times, you know, even if you're talking about something sad that has happened Mm -hmm. or like uh, right now, I'm talking a lot about like my fear of death and how my biggest fear is my husband passing away. And I talk about that and it's funny because people can relate to that, Mm -hmm. but maybe they wouldn't say it out loud. So it's funny because I'm saying out loud what a lot of people think in their heads. Mm -hmm. And I say it in a way that I'm like, this is me. I've experienced this. This was my thought when my husband didn't text me back. This was all the emotions that I went through. And I present that in a way that will connect with people on a human level. Oh, I think that's awesome. Very special. That is so special. special. And that's, I mean, I mean, obviously now we can talk a little bit about how we kind of connected and it was um, the Cal Poly Performing Arts Center and um, Steve and Ryan were in the hospital and um, me and Ryan's girlfriend for a long time, Nicole, and my youngest son, Aaron, all went to one of your shows and which it was awesome to go to it because it was, it was therapeutic when we're going through a really rough patch in our life and, um, and it was so nice just to be able to laugh with just, you know, family. And and um, we actually got backstage passes and we were able to see you. And you literally made a small gesture into a huge thing, which was super powerful for me because um, I was feeling guilty at the time that I should have been, I shouldn't been there. I should have been with my my son. And, and I, I think I kind of broke down a little bit. You're like, let's just do a video for him. And I thought, wow, for you to connect with me on such a level was was so meaningful for me. But then I get back and you were talking about your quick wittedness. My our son is very he was very quick witted. And the first thing he said, he said, I told you I was a big deal, mom. <laughs> I told you I was a big deal, mom. So I think that was really um, um, special for all of us because we're just trying to bypass time in the hospital. And um, and and for you to do something that special for us was was so meaningful you know it took two seconds of your time basically but it was really really special so that was for all of our um people that are listening out there that's kind of how the connection happened with Angela and um it was with Aaron and me and Nicole and then Steve is just now meeting Angela for the, yep, first, time. For the so, first time but very familiar but that's with kind her of work. a little bit of the background yeah exactly we're all familiar with her work but do you have any cancer in maybe your family or or maybe are you directly connected with cancer in any way, shape or form? Unfortunately. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, um, there was, I mean, I've had many people in my family and, and friends that have passed away from different types of 
cancer. Mm. And I have one of my girlfriends right now is stage four colon cancer. And, you know, um, uh, Crisola, you can look her up on Instagram. She shares her journey from going to Spain to a clinic, to Mexico to a clinic and like trying all these different things. And she's like very open and, and, um, honest with her, her journey, Crystal Anderson. And, um, my one, let's see, I was in Hollywood and this particular death really rocked my world. And it was my uncle who passed away in, um, 2000, Five, I want to say maybe it was a little after that, but I had really believed that he was going to get healed and be okay. And even when he was deteriorating right before my eyes, I had this faith that you couldn't even tell me that he wasn't going to get better. And I remember just quoting all the scriptures and doing all the things and just fully believing. Yeah. And then when I got, the call that he had passed away, it really did something to my relationship with God that I was so angry. I was Mm. so, I felt betrayed. I felt Mm. like you lied to me. And like, it really rocked my world for a good mm, two, three years Mm. after that, where like, I still had my relationship with God, but it was more so kind of like, you know, when you, you get in a tiff with, your spouse or a good friend and you're just, you know, it's awkward. Like you still talk, but you're like being fake about it. You're just like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's kind of how I felt with my relationship with God after that. And, um, it took some crawling back and some really like wrestling with God to like get back to a place where I'm like, okay, I can pray and believe again that maybe you answer prayers. Mm. Like, it was really, really hard for me. Yeah, I guess I can kind of relate. To I, I completely get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because that's what we stood on with Ryan as mm-hmm. well. And um, I, I don't know if it was so much anger for me as it was disappointment. Because mm-hmm. uh, we were doing the same thing, standing on everything. But I, I firmly believe that Ryan got a glimpse of heaven. Mm-hmm. And when he realized what we were all created for Mm. and what was waiting for him, he's like, I know everybody behind is going to be just fine. Mm. And I want what we've been made for. Mm. And that, and that was my comfort knowing that God gave him a choice. And I, and I think that happens to a lot of people. They're given that choice. You can go back and fight some more or look what I've got for you. And you're like, Okay, I'll take what you've got. If you're willing to let me in right now, I'll take it. Right. You know? Well, and I think what's so unique about Ryan in particular is that Ryan gave Steve and I a purpose. So I feel like he was lining us up already, which we didn't even know, you know, that, you know, he started this nonprofit because of his journey, you know, and what happened with him. And we were like thinking, this is crazy. Like he wanted to do something for others, you know, so 17 strong, we grant victory trips to young adults, um, which Ryan was, he was 18 when he got diagnosed. Um, there was a need out there that he there, didn't there even is know. there's still a need yeah it, it, oh huge need and it is um it's crazy so he set us up for a purpose mm-hmm. and um i believe that with all of my heart because if i didn't have 17 strong i feel like 
I would be locked in a loony bin because, but now I have a purpose and now I have a way to show Ryan. I still, you know, I love him no matter what. And there's this almost unconditional love that pours out a 17 strong, even though I don't like the fact that I'm directly connected with cancer every day to young people, you know, that are, um, you know, college kids or young parents, you know, or whatever it is, because we do from 18 to 40. Um, Mm -hmm. So these are young individuals that we, we basically pick up where Make-A-Wish leaves off. So we give them a trip and we, um, we believe that they're so much more than a trip because they come back like refreshed and like so excited that they got to create some wonderful memories instead of those horrible, you know, in the hospital and doctor visits and, you know, so anyway, I think that him leaving that to us is there's something to be said about that because a lot of people after somebody passes will start their own nonprofit in memory of this is not in memory of this is all his idea and I always make sure that I give him the credit because he started it from his hospital bed (laughs) he'd look so beautiful to hear because I was actually thinking to myself when this was scheduled for me to be on the podcast I was like that is so cool what they're doing like with his legacy and like doing this podcast and things like that so I didn't know that he actually started this he started it yeah, you should tell her a little bit about the story because that was really interesting. It's just with a well, originally um, he was treated at UCLA in Southern California, and when he was first diagnosed, it was his senior year of high school, so he was already eighteen years old. And the social worker came in the hospital and said, "Hey, you qualify for a Make a Wish trip. Start thinking about where you want to go and what you want to do." And he got all excited and he was planning it all out. He knew exactly where he wanted to go, what he wanted to do and so on. So a couple weeks into this, well, it was right before surgery. Right before surgery. To, uh, to remove the tumor, they came back and said, oh, by the way, you don't qualify. You were diagnosed after you were 18 years old. And, and what a lot of people don't know <clears throat> is that the guidelines to make a wish is you have to be diagnosed prior to your 18th birthday, right. which is... No matter which way you slice it, it's 17, (laughs) 17 years old. So we do a lot of educating because we love Make-A-Wish. If this whole thing did not happen to Ryan, we wouldn't, this wouldn't exist. So we love what Make-A-Wish is doing. We don't want anybody to think that we don't. No, they they do an amazing job. And we're just picking up because there's so many young people that are affected by this. And Ryan was still treated as a pediatric. Yep. They, the hospitals will treat you from the age of 18. It could be up to 25, depending on what the cancer is and your body, because some of the treatments for these cancers are still a pediatric treatment. Mm -hmm. So you're treated as a pediatric and Ryan knew how he felt and how disappointed he was when they took away that trip. So when he woke up from surgery, he looked at his mom and I with glassy eyes, barely able to talk after, you know, being in an eight hour surgery and said, I know what we're going to do. We're going to start a nonprofit. We're going to call it 17 strong and we're going to grant victory trips to young adults and we're going to send them on a trip of their choice because nobody that goes through this hell. Super powerful because that, and again, I feel like there was some type of a, a vision or something that he got in that eight hour surgery because how yes. do you just make that up? You yeah. know what I mean? And now we're doing that. it. Yeah. So and from his hospital bed, he dictated the board of directors. Yep. 
him and his girlfriend uh, designed the logo. He wanted a FedEx style logo. So our logo has, <laughs> there's three different uh, symbols in the logo. Yeah. And um, he, like I said, he picked out the board of directors. He helped with the bylaws. He's been, he was very, very in, involved in it. Right. And he and know, so made he, sure. So he set us all up before he ended up right. uh, passing away. Wow. I How know. long after that surgery did you have with him before he passed away? We oh. actually had quite a bit of time with yeah. him because what happened was, is he got better from the original diagnosis, which was a Ewing sarcoma. And it was um, soft tissue. It was in his muscle. So after that, he beat that. He went away to college to start his baseball career. And he was being scouted to play in the pros. And when he got sick in high school, they said, you go get better. We'll pick you up in college. Mm -hmm. And so when he finally got to go away to college to start uh, playing baseball, he uh, went on a trip with the Challenger baseball program that little league puts on. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's basically a division of little league baseball that um, gives handicapped kids, special needs kids, the yeah. opportunity to play baseball in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. That's awesome. And him and his teammates were buddies for the grand junction, Colorado special needs kids. Okay. And he got to go be a part of that. He was so exciting and everything. And when he got back from that, he got a cold. And he could never get better from the cold. He was doing sprints, working out with the baseball team, yeah. working out just as hard as everybody else. And he finally called home and said, Dad, I cannot get rid of this cold and I'm really weak. I said, well, just go check in at the school and see what they say. Well, they sent him immediately to the emergency room. And then they called us and they called, we called UCLA. And UCLA told us, more than likely, it was a leukemia. They were waiting on the test results because the chemotherapy they gave him the first time to treat the Ewings has a side effect that usually it's up to five years post-chemotherapy. They rarely see it within six months post-chemotherapy. It causes a leukemia, and that's what ended up being um, too much for his body to handle. Unbelievable. Yeah. So we had to... Yeah. The yeah. medicine that was supposed to kill off this cancer has a side effect of causing this cancer yes oh i'm so angry right yeah. right yeah they didn't tell us but you know they but said like the doctor said would it have changed anything if we would have told you it and yeah. understanding it wouldn't have changed anything because you're fighting the current problem yeah. you know you're going day by day when you're fighting this right it's not like well i'm gonna wait and because i don't want to deal with this battle later on no you're going to deal with this battle right now, and then we'll tackle the next problem. And we right. thought that the cancer, the v, the first cancer, was a nine-month intense, you know, treatment, and the second one was even worse. So, right. yeah, I mean, complete isolation. So, you know, <clears throat> we were um, doing COVID stuff prior to COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and I mean that from you know washing your hands and being isolated and you know wiping everything down and wearing masks, you know, because he had such a low immune system. So we were we were kind of um doing all those things prior to. So it it it's it brings back a lot of memories, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. And then from the time of that diagnosis when the cold wouldn't go away and that whole thing, how long did you have with him after that? Well, we September, um, he got 
It was, was it was end of August that he yeah. was diagnosed. Oh, okay. And then he, we were um, we were in the hospital. He got two weeks home, and he passed um, March fourth. Yeah. So we were literally in the hospital for all that time, isolation. Because yeah, with leukemia. So that's what I'm saying. When you when you do something so small for somebody that's in the hospital, it's huge to them. Like when somebody would come with a dog or a guitar, he would get so excited because he's like, "Oh my gosh, come on in!" You know, and you yeah. know, sing to me or let me see that. Is that the season when I met you was in that last season, or was it in the first? Do you remember? It was a long time ago. I can't yeah. remember, to be honest with you. I really can't remember, which they were so... Do you remember what year you were in San Luis? Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't know either. I, I have a hard time with yesterday, so... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, March 4th. <laughs> That's why I asked you. I'm like, can you remind me? I don't remember. But it was intense, no matter which one it was, for sure. Yeah. But, um, okay, so another thing I wanted to ask you is, um, how did you meet your husband? I, I see him, and I has... Yeah, I'd love to know more about him. Let this be a uh, hope for all single ladies listening Woo! to this. Right now. <laughs> this is how I met my husband. I cyber stalked him on the internet. Um, wow. You think it's a joke, but it's true. No. <laughs> so I, I actually saw him at a friend's wedding. He is a mutual friend, right? And so I saw him at their wedding, but he didn't see me. Um, I was not his type. What? His Listen, if you're listening to this audio, not watching, I am a Mexican girl with a lot of sass and his style was a white girl. Like that was his style. He only looked at white girls. He didn't look brown. No, that wasn't no. his. <laughs> so he didn't notice me, but I noticed him and nobody introduced me to him at the wedding. So I was offended. I was like, why doesn't anybody see that we should be together? It's right. so weird. And um, so then I went home, and then I looked him up on the internet. This is how I found him. I went to my friend's page on Facebook, mm -hmm. who had gotten married that day, and I clicked on her new husband's page. And then I went through every single one of his friends until I found that afro that I saw at the wedding. And then I clicked on him, and that's where I figured out who he was. And I Googled him. I was like, oh, he's in a band. Oh, he's on tour. Oh, he loves the lore. Oh, okay, all these kinds of things. And then I just let it go. And I was like, well, snooze you lose, sir. You should have met me. Bye. <laughs> and I never messaged him. I never even told my friend that I looked up the guy at her wedding. I didn't tell anybody anything. I just stalked him on the internet and then went about my life. And I was like, snooze you lose. Bye. I'm going on tour myself. And then um, went on to make some very questionable choices after that. And then like two years later, my friend who got married that day, um, sends me a text message and I hadn't talked to her in a long time at this point. So she sends me a text and she was like, Hey, is this still Angela's phone? And I was like, yes. And she was like, call me back. I want to hook you up with somebody. And I was like, who do you want to hook me up with? And she's like, look him up on the internet. His name is Manuel Reyes. And all my research came flooding back to me in that moment. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I knew you'd I come. <laughs> Still didn't even tell her then. Oh, yeah. I pretended. I was like, okay, I'll look him up. I'll see what's up. Girl, please. I already knew. I did all my research. I already know everything. <laughs> so then we end up, like, messaging each other on Facebook and whatnot and then doing, like, Skype because FaceTime wasn't really oh, a no. thing. Mm -hmm. So then we're, like, Skype dating. And we moved very quickly. I We met in August of 2010. And then we were engaged by Christmas Eve of wow. that year. And then we got married in June of the following year. 
So we hadn't even known each other a full year and we was already locked up. We were like, yep. You're like, when you know, you know. It was one of those things, when you know, you know. And yeah. when you had been around the block a couple times, you really know. Yeah. <laughs> that is it. That is it. So tell us, um, I, ne- I mean, we do know that he was he's in a band or was in a band. or yeah. What is he doing now? I mean, so he was in a band back in the day called Group One Crew. It was like Christian hip hop, pop music. They used to call them like the Christian Black Eyed Peas type oh. music. And since then, um, those doors have closed, and he was signed to a different record deal under a different band name, and then that went away. So now, what he does is he writes music specifically for movies, TV shows, commercials, and things like that. Not like jingles, but like if you see a new Xbox commercial and it has this like funky song in the background or a hip hop song or whatever it is, he writes those songs and it's called sync music. So you write songs specifically for TV shows, movies, trailers, commercials, and things like that. So that is where he's been spending most of his uh, musical genius creativity on and then um, real estate. So awesome where he's been and then I'm still touring. So, um, Yeah. And he usually comes with you when you tour or no? He'll come with me if it's like a cool city. If it's (laughs) somewhere, you know what I mean? Like when I come to New York, he'll definitely be with me in New York. But he, you know, he skips out on like Tulsa and Dayton. Like he'll stay home for those ones. No offense to Tulsa and Dayton. No. Yeah, yeah. He just likes the, he likes what he likes. And well, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Pismo Beach will be one that he can. Oh, yeah. Pismo Beach. It's a great little area. Yeah. You need That's to. great. How did COVID affect you and your husband? Oh, it, everything. I mean, it caused us to relook at everything in our life and yep. be like, what are we doing? What mm-hmm. do we want? What really makes us happy. So yeah. did it affect no. the, your touring schedule and put everything on? Everything. Well, here's the funny thing about that. <laughs> so in 2019, in the fall... Yeah, towards the beginning of the fall, um, I really had this encounter with God where I knew I needed to take a break from touring, from stand-up, from working. Mm. I had been hustling for like 13 years, and I was depleted, and everything in my life was saying so. Mm. Marriage, friendships. Um, even my career, the fact that I was putting my career first was the thing that was keeping my career stagnant where it was because my priorities were all messed up Mm. and I was just exhausted. It was one of those where I was creating not out of overflow, but I was creating out of survival. I was creating Mm. to like keep up with the trends. Like, Oh, everybody's doing a YouTube channel. I should do a YouTube channel. Everybody's doing TikTok. I should do TikTok. Everybody's doing this. I should do this. Oh, my peers are directing. I should aspire to be a director. Like all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like spending my energy in places that don't feed me because they're not for me. But what happens is I built this very well-built machine that was like, um, uh, a monster in the game. Like this machine was like crushing it. And it was also crushing me. It was Mm. also like slowly depleting me. And so it was one of those things where I was like, I need a break. I need to come off the road. And I talked to my husband about it, my managers, my agents, and let everybody know like, hey guys, I need to go on a sabbatical because um, this isn't working for me anymore. Mm. 
So in September of 2019, we decided that I was coming off the road for all of 2020. And so when I say I got the biggest like heads up from God, like I didn't know there was going to be a world pandemic. Right. Right. Everyone's calendar, but I had already taken myself off the calendar. So when COVID happened, I was already home. I was just figuring out, I thought it was going to be my eat, pray, love year. I was going to travel the world and like go find God in, you know, Thailand in the jungle and like, I thought that's what was going to happen, but I just found God in my backyard and ended up gardening and like really enjoying my home because that's the only place I could be. Right. So, um, it was exactly what it was supposed to be for me, but I definitely feel like I got a little bit of, a not even a heads up, but it was just like, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. When I I heard, I felt like God was saying, yeah, take a break, Mm. go ahead and come off the road. And, and which is a really big decision for me being like, uh, the breadwinner of our family, you know, mm-hmm. like for me to say, Hey, we're not going to do, um, income this year. <laughs> it's is, is like, we got to be on board for that on a, you know, mm-hmm. team. and so we both made the decision like, okay, this yeah. is for my mental health, my physical health. And honestly, I feel like what could happen in this time of replenishment and rest like God can use that a million times more than any of my hustling could be used. Like my hustling will get this far, but actually surrendering this time to God and Mm. taking this time to reconnect and reevaluate. I feel like God can do more with that than he can with my hustle. So, um, COVID really just, kind of nudged us to do even more questioning than I already was doing. What makes me happy? What is worth it? What is worth my time? What Mm. is worth my energy? What is worth my creativity? What is worth the depletion, you know? And um, so that's kind of what COVID did for us. It really caused us to re-examine our life, our career and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And it's funny how it's affected everyone, but, everybody in such a different way mm-hmm. as, as well. You know, we had, we had to put all the victory trips on hold. You know, we lost thousands of dollars because insurance companies ran from, from covering any of this because, yeah. you know, somewhere in the fine print pandemics aren't covered and <laughs> nobody thinks that there's well, ever going to be a pandemic. who really reads five pages of, you know, everybody yeah. just goes to the sign here or the checkbox. Yeah. Sure. And, and even if you did read it and see that it said pandemics aren't covered, you'd be like, when are we going to have a pandemic? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah that's so, so true. Um, but you know, it's crazy too, because um, yeah, we sat back and kind of had to regroup too as well, you know, and, and you do, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about, you know, your organization and what, what does matter, all that other stuff. And, you know, you're trying to stay still, but yet, yet still, be better you know too and you know how can we be better at staying still you know like our website or you know trying to do something with our podcast and you know little things like that which was which was awesome but that doesn't help the fact that there's still cancer going on you know so the pile gets bigger and bigger you know i'm like uh yeah um cancer doesn't discriminate for sure you know they don't care if it's a pandemic or not so um in that being said you know life is still going on and you know and um so we we just decided that this was a year that we needed to catch up 
So we just didn't really approve any new trips. We just caught up on everything that we had promised yeah. people, you know, because yeah. we felt like you, we can't. We didn't want to take anything away from them. Yeah, that's you just know? not okay. We, we wanted to honor our commitment to them. Yeah. And they're still cancer survivors. Yeah, no matter what. And that's what was so it. important to Ryan is he wanted these to be victory trips. So we don't do end of life trips or bucket list trips. He wanted victory trips yeah. because he knew how hard it is to beat these diseases. Mm -hmm. And he wanted people that had beat it, that had given their all, that had maybe lost their job. Maybe they can no longer have kids. Yeah. You know, there's so many different things or they've had to start a career all over again or go back to school. He wanted them to, to have something to look forward to that they got a restart yeah. in their life. That's so incredible. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, with the pandemic, things are different. You know, you can't travel just anywhere you want to go. You know, as you know, the Thailand wasn't open. <laughs> you, know, right. for, you know, but um, now things are opening up a little bit more. And believe it or not, people are really wanting to stay a little bit closer to home. So, you know, Hawaii has been pretty popular. We have some, a lot of Dominican Republic, a lot of um, Costa Rica. So they're great destinations. Don't get me yeah. wrong. You know, beautiful. So they're still getting a wonderful trip. It's just um, maybe not to Europe or, you know, but like I said, things are opening up every day. I will take any of those trips. Right? Exactly. That's what we said. Exactly. It's gorgeous. And mind you, <laughs> Thailand is a really big one. I mean, lots of young kids love to go to Thailand. I've never been, but I hear it's gorgeous. So um, I've yet to go. Yeah, neither have I. So it'll be a, it'll be a, um, maybe a, um, a, Check out the quality control there. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> you gotta see where are we sending people to? Yeah. I'll be back. Let me see that resort. I gotta check. Yeah, it out. she's trying to pull that with Cabo here coming up. Yeah, so. yeah. I've never been to Cabo either. A lot of people want to go to Cabo. It's fun to me to see where people want a vacation. Everybody wants a vacation different. You know, some people want to go, 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 and and other people want to go. Give me a book and stay on the beach. And I love that. You know, I love yeah. that. And who they decide to bring, it's fun. It's fun to to hear and also about their cancer journeys and, you know, because everybody has struggles. So, yeah, we, we you're exactly right. We had one that all she wanted was a nice room with yeah. a great view. A, a bubble bath. A, Don't a forget that. A big bathtub. Big bathtub. Because all she wanted to do was read a book, soak in a tub and enjoy the view. Yeah. And that's how so, she wanted to. And, and other she went to Barbados. Just, this was such a cool one. I'm sorry. I got to interrupt no, you. You're fine. It was um, she went to Barbados and she had a um, a butler. I'm like, Ooh. a butler? You had a butler? I go, come down to earth. Come on, girl. Like, yeah. <laughs> you got to cook for yourself wow. now. <laughs> go to a restaurant. I don't know. How she do you go home after that? No, I know. So she had a, a great time and she actually lives in LA area and she's she's amazing. But um, anyway, yeah. So um, what were the other things we were going to ask her? I don't know. The notes are on your phone. Though. I know. Do you have any great, <laughs> you have any great stories? Do you have any favorite stories? I mean, so many stories. I, I feel like I've, I've given you some good ones. You have. Yes, you have. You've given us some. How did I meet Manny? How I did know. I get started? All those kinds of things. I, I know. I, I, have a, I have a question. What What is your passion and like what motivates you? Like what makes you tick? What makes you go and um, get creative or do you have a certain thing? Like You know, it's funny. I've brought this question up myself to God many of times where I'd be like, God, do I have a passion? Like, am I passionate about anything? <laughs> because I like doing things, but then I guess define what does passion mean? So mm -hmm. somebody could say to me, oh, you're passionate about being an actress. And then I could say to them, am I though? I'm not in an acting class. 
I don't watch every single movie that comes out. I'm not taking notes on how the actors made their decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, am I passionate about acting? Okay, well, you're passionate about being a stand-up. Am I passionate about being a stand-up? I'm not going to the open mics on my off nights. I'm staying home with my husband. Like, am I passionate? What does passion mean? Like, I guess that is um, something that I've yet to figure out. And in the meantime, I feel like I... I am passionate about just life and Mm. loving my family and friends. Like Mm. if I could just spend all my time with my family and friends, I would do that. Like how, how do you, how do you get just all the money in the world, but Mm -hmm. don't work? Like that's what I want. Like (laughs) somebody just pay all my bills so I can stay home with my family and friends. And that's all I want to do with my life. I love that. So I I don't know. I guess I'm just passionate about, family and friends. Well, you had said earlier, I think that you were on the board of a nonprofit is, can you talk about that nonprofit? Is it? Sure. Yeah. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. So my husband and I sit on the board of unlikely heroes. It's an anti-human trafficking organization. And I didn't know much about human trafficking before I got involved with this organization. My friend, Erica Grieve is the CEO of the org. And, um, I learned so much about domestic human trafficking, foreign human trafficking, um, that there are more slaves today in the world um, than there was during the slave trade because people are uh, enslaved sexually and even in jobs, people come to America thinking they're getting a job, but really they're being enslaved and um, tricked and being told your family will die if you try to run and stuff like that. I've met so many survivors through this organization that, um, were preyed on when they were young teens and they thought they met a new boyfriend who loved them and showered them with gifts. And then next thing you know, he forced them into prostitution and told them like, I'm going to kill all your family if you try to run. And then there are years and years on the streets and prostitution. And I grew up, I grew up on a street, um, where there was a lot of prostitution, like right at the corner by my house. And growing up, I would think that the the prostitutes were bad. Like when you would see the girls, they were bad. Like that's how I grew up thinking like, oh, those are bad girls. But come to find out a lot of the time, first of all, no, they're not bad girls. Right. Um, and they could be forced to do what they're doing or they're doing what they feel like they have to do. But for the most part in human trafficking, they're being forced to be out on those streets. And so it just took a lot of um, educating. Like I was being educated about this cause. And um, so my husband and I really got involved and we built a home in the Philippines and this organization has homes in Thailand, in Mexico. Um, They have domestic initiatives and um, they're doing some really great work in the anti-human trafficking cause. That's amazing. And we know how bad of a problem it is. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're reading your local news or the national news, there's a story every day about people being rescued out of that or, mm-hmm. you know, people being arrested because of it. So mm-hmm. thank you for your work in that. Yes, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Sounds awesome. It's, yeah, and it is a lot unlikely of heroes. What's it called again? I'm sorry. Unlikely heroes. Unlikely heroes. We'll have to look that one up yep, for yep. sure. And for yeah. our listeners as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because I think that that is a lot of what we do with 17 strong as well as we educate. We just educate people on, you know, 
um, you know, what the boundaries are, what the, what the, you know, criteria is and, you know, different things like that. But it's, but it's that, good. that organization speaks to your passion Yes, because those people need love mm-hmm. and they need yeah. so much of it because yeah. they have been abused and yeah. they don't even understand what love is. Yeah. And that we feel that's what we say when our Victor trip recipients are coming in. We don't want to give them a trip and then kick them to the curb. Like we feel like a connection, you know, every birthday and every Christmas, it's a gift. So we feel like they're part of our family and we, we connect with them and we, we just love them. We feel like it's the greatest thing that we can do is just love, love them. You know, we aren't considered a Christian organization because we don't, we feel like, you know, I don't want to be labeled as that. I don't want to be labeled as that. I, I just, we just want to love on I people. I want to reach everyone. I, I mean, get that for sure. I don't label myself a Christian comedian. Good. I'm a comedian who works clean. Yeah. And then I'm sure there's even Christians who wouldn't label me Christian because I think differently about things. So I just yeah. don't label myself. I just yeah. don't either. I feel like it puts you in a box and I don't want that. We don't need like labels. God is bigger than that. And, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I'll, every, every time we'll say we are believers, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that we don't love you, you know, and, and it, sure. and we get every walks of life, which is so amazing. You know, I love that, you know, people that have never, ever, ever been on, well, we laughed too, because we were like, maybe not even to an airport. <laughs> so really? They've never traveled. They've never had a vacation, much less go to an airport, right. much less get to choose where they want to go. They don't even know the geography of anything. So yeah. it's such a blessing. It is such a blessing. It is so wonderful. And, um, we're, blessed and thankful that you um just helped us and to be on our podcast and um and to do the work that you do because everybody needs to laugh i'm sorry that's everybody right. has to laugh because that's there the best medicine there is really truly so thank you thank you for thank being a part yeah thank you for having me on your podcast this is really special i'm so grateful that i got to meet you yes. all those years ago and yes. um to stay in touch with you now and be on this podcast so um i appreciate what you guys are doing picking up where you know make a wish left off and filling the void seeing the need yes. and meeting the need like that takes a lot of work and and grit and you guys are doing it so thank well you. thank you and it's it's because of ryan it so is. and for your listeners um you know if they'd like to follow us we have all the Social media, Facebook, yep. uh, Instagram, all and uh, all that well, stuff. Well, as soon as this comes out, you tag me and I'll repost it and let everybody know. Well, that thank you. We really appreciate you. And um, yeah, thanks for everything you do. And with that, we'll wrap up another yes. 17 Strong podcast. Angela, thank you. It has been a pleasure. Hopefully, we will see you in the near future and talk to you soon. So thanks to Nate Hand, our studio engineer. And uh, for those of you that would like to support 17 Strong, that's 17strong.org. Thank you. And remember, attitude is everything. You've been listening to 17 Strong. Victories don't come by accident. To be part of the show, make a donation, or request more information, go to 17strong.org. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-E-E-N strong.org.